first of all. Oh, one thing. I make I I tend to swear quite a bit. That's fine. That's so fine. It's, just, it's fine. Okay. Be yeah, free. I, I, yeah. I will try not to, but sometimes I'm like I'll drop an F bomb and I'll be like shit. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Hi there, how's your week been? For me, it's been a bit of a blur because I put an extra episode out. I don't know if you've listened to it yet, but I did an episode about the Jessica Defino article, Is This the End of the Manicure in the New York Times? I've had a lot of feedback on it and I'm I'm really pleased that we kind of made the effort to get an extra episode out. But that doesn't take away from today's one. This is probably one of my favorite conversations to date. Deborah Johnson is a beauty PR who also heads up the PR for a family-run salon called Simply Gorgeous. She's a freelance PR and brand manager, and I think I met her maybe a couple of years ago. And it's funny, when we were editing this episode today, my husband mentioned to me how I was after I'd first met Deborah kind of like very inspired and enthused and it's funny when you first meet her she's just a very honest and upfront type of person I feel like the brands that she works with are brands that she really really does believe in in this conversation I just wanted to see what it's like to be Deborah I wanted to find out how Deborah seems she seems so comfortable in herself and I wanted to find out you know how did she get there And in this conversation, she really surprises me with some information that I had no clue about. She is so open about the things that she's been through, about finding her way from being a black girl in like the alt scene, but also never quite fitting in. I think she calls it code switching, how she's learned to evolve and change. But along the way, she's discovered that there was something she really needed to deal with in order to get to herself. So I really hope you enjoy this one. I would love to know what you think. As always, my DMs are open over on Beauty Me Podcast, so I'd love to hear from you. Welcome to the Beauty Me Podcast. My name's Sharice Kenyon, and I've been writing about beauty for around 15 years. During that time, I've heard so many stories about how we approach beauty, our routines, and the traditions that make us who we are. I wanted to create a space where I could discuss these rituals further with people from around the world. For me, it's all about beauty without the BS. First of all, I want to know, you wake up in the morning, tell me what you're doing, everything, meditation, skincare, whatever, coffee, what do you do? Yeah, so I normally wake up at around, I'd say between six and seven. And um, I tend to do a bit of stretching and then do some meditation and then do some reading and then jump onto like a, a meeting and then hop in the shower, do my kind of like skincare routine, which normally consists of a glycolic cleanser, um, some form of serum, a moisturizer and an SPS. And then body wise, I need to be moisturizing my body because my body is ashy as hell, just naturally. It's very, very dry. I mean, like, I look like a chalkboard sometimes, even though I do like, have moisturised, and particularly during the winter when like it's all the natural moisture there's being sapped. But um, so I've been spent so long trying to find a perfect combination of what will keep my skin consistently throughout the day. 
looking more just sort of like hydrated and moisturized and I think I found that now and I use the same kind of like approach that I do with my hair so I'll use a water-based lotion first and then oil on top okay. um, and that I, I found really really helps to keep my skin constantly moisturized throughout the day without any need for reapplication. and tell me what products you're using so I know you wrote about them you sent me some yeah. answers tell me so- what they are the, the water-based lotion I use is the REN AHA uh, Body Serum. So it's also an exfoliant as well as a moisturiser. So that's what I will use first all over. Um, it's, because it's water-based, it's going to be hydrating. And it's also got an exfoliating aspect. And then to seal in the hydration and for that extra sheen, I will use the Afro Home Skin Coat Awakened Body Oil, um, which I absolutely love. I'm actually almost out of it, so I need to restock up on that. So those are my two. I've, I've used different combinations of products in the past. Like I've used, tried using things like um, coconut oil, shea butter, um, and different other lotions. And I haven't found a combination thus far until now that keeps me as moisturized when I, when I first put it on throughout the day. So I think I'm also winning formula. Okay, I need to look this up because, um, you, you know, you mentioned shea butter. Usually that's the classic go-to that people mention but it doesn't work for you my skin hates shea butter I don't it really does it like like the thing is I think culturally we assume that certain like um products and ingredients are universally great for us as black people but shea butter does not work on my hair it's coconut butter oil doesn't work on my hair either and shea butter yes within the first like hour or so I'll have that sheen there but the dryness still comes through and I think it's because like in use I need water. My skin and my hair loves water. Okay. Um, I swim, well, not anymore, but I used to swim quite frequently. Okay. And I would notice that my body is never softer than when I got um, after I go out of the pool. So even a couple of days later, my skin feels really, really soft. And um, also my hair seems to like being, um, seems to do well in chlorinated water. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> but so I realized that my body likes to have water on it. So when I'm using a water-based lotion, like the Ren one, I'm putting the hydration in. And then I'm sealing that hydration in with the oil on top. And the oil also gives me that sheen as well. Wow. I'm going to have to pass that on to my husband. Because, um, yeah. yeah, I purely do that for my body. Like for, mm. my, for my skin, my face, mm. I, don't put, um, I don't tend to use oil. Um, because my mm. face is naturally quite oily. Right. I used to hate it because I used to like an oil slicker. I used to be like, why am I so shiny? Now I'm just like, no, keep this natural shine because yeah. it's helping my skin stay supple. But um, I don't use any oils on my skin, um, on my face. I used to. But as I've gotten older, I've um, noticed that it leaves my pores becoming a lot more congested. It also, um, I also noticed whenever I've used a facial oil, no matter what it is, I will get a breakout in some areas, and that's because my skin, which already produces a quite, quite a significant amount of oil, has now got oil on top of it, clogging the clot, clogging the pores, sorry, and then that leads to kind of breakouts. So I've stopped using oils in my face. It sounds like you've done a lot of work and research and experimenting to get those two regimes like on lock because your your skin on your face is so different to the rest of your body. So it's like. Mm-hmm. Is that because you're interested in anti-aging or were you just getting frustrated with the products that we're using? I mean, like, I've been fortunate enough throughout the years working in beauty be, to be exposed to and get the chance to try a lot of products and, um, and listen to a lot of science and listen to a lot of experts. And so in doing that, I was trying everything. And for a period of time, a lot of what I was trying was working for me. But as my, I've noticed, like, I used to have, I'm not being boastful here, actually, yes, I am. I used to have great skin. 
I used to, my skin used to be flawless, like alablaster, no marks, radiant. And then I think it was when I hit 30 where I started noticing that my skin was looking a, a little less um, radiant, a little less glowy. I was going getting pigmentation marks on it. When I didn't have water throughout the day, I was noticing that what I was eating was showing up more on my skin. So it required me to pay a lot more attention. And I think like, Previously, I was using a lot of natural products because I kind of like things to be as pared back and simple as possible. And mentally, I was just like, natural equates to pared back and simple. And I was doing that for a while, but as my skin was aging and changing, I don't believe in the idea of anti-aging. We're going to age regardless. You can't fault anyone. But it's about supporting your skin through that process. So when I was, um, so I was using natural products for, for a bit, and then I was just like noticing that they weren't working as effectively. Mm-hmm. And they're actually being detrimental in some aspects. And um, I was speaking to my friend Deja about it, and she was just like, you need to start applying actives into your regime because actives are going to do the hard work. They are the things, they are the potent ingredients that are going to help kind of like genuinely help the turnover, genuinely help the exfoliation, genuinely help with like attacking, attacking target imitation. So I started applying more... Um, more um, sort of active-based skincare into my regime. And I must say, I've noticed a huge difference. And it's taken, I think, I, in going through the journey of, like, trying everything, then just wanting to do natural, and then accepting the fact that my skin is not going to be the skin I had when I was 25. You know, it's going to require a little bit more hard grass in terms of the ingredients it's going to need. And then just, like, introduce actions in my skincare regime. I've now got to a point where I'm quite happy with what's going on with it. It's not perfect every day. I mean, sometimes... I wake up and I'm just like, why, where the hell has this come from? Or <laughs> I've got dark circles under my eyes and I'm just like, ah. But I think for my lifestyle um, and the age that I'm at, I'm happy with the skin that I've got, considering I don't see everything internally that can help support it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because you've kind of said the reverse of like what last, last week's guest said, which was she had dermatitis and... She was trying all these different things and then she found like the more natural, the better for her. And for me, it's just a reflection that the beauty industry really needs to get aware that we are all so different, like so different. Yeah. You mentioned about within the black community, there's definitely some ingredients and products that everyone can be like, well, you've got to have the black soap. You've got to have the shea butter. You've got to have this. And black soap, I've heard so many I mean, some people say like, they've got issues like, with it it's like you've got to work out what's for you you've got to work out what's for you and I get it heritage wise and cultural wise there are ingredients that um, have been mainstays in our homes within our culture etc and there's nothing necessarily wrong with these ingredients but there can also be different ingredients that are better you know um, and so why not seek out something that's better and like if black soap works for you then fair enough if share butter works for you then fair enough but if it doesn't work for you don't feel like you you have to continuously try use the thing that doesn't work for you. Seek help something that is better. It's going to work for you and your needs. Like at the salon, like um, we have a lot of clients come in and they're just like, my hair's so dry. I've been using the shit. I've been using the coconut oil and it's still dry. And I'm like, if you're putting an oil on hair, it's already dry. You're just feeling it in the dryness. But they just, there's an assumption that because it's what black people use, that we should all be using it and it should be working. But no, it's like finding... Firstly, how to use it. And also, if it doesn't work for you, then that's okay. Find an alternative. 
So you mentioned they're the salon. So I just, if you could tell <laughs> the listeners a bit about yourself, because I know, so there's a family run salon and you're a beauty PR. Yeah. So my main job is as a PR brand management specialist, a freelance one, working with a host of amazing brands, um, predominantly black owned brands. Um, but not all of them. And then I also run a salon with my mother called Simply Gorgeous that we've had for about just over 15 years now. And um, unfortunately, having to close again tomorrow. But yes. um, we're an Afro specialist salon. So tell me a bit more about when you were growing up. Like, what was going on? When was your first inkling that beauty was a thing? So I'm guessing if there was a hair salon in the family, was that something? Do you say that's 15 years? Was there a yeah. hair influence in the family before that? No, so funnily enough, like, um, my mum opened a salon when I was at university. So I had a conversation with her um, one time, and she was told, she was the most recently redundant from her job. And then I knew back home in Nigeria, she, had, she was a hostler, I should say, she hustled. She had loads of different jobs and businesses that she used to run, one of them was like running a salon. But when I, um, the fast forward, I'm at university in Bristol, and I have a conversation with my mum, like, I'm opening a salon. And I was like, what? And um, she was just like, yeah, we're opening a salon. And I was just like, okay. And I think I came home the following weekend and she had gone off to work. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to come and see the salon. Send me the address. And off I talked to this address. And I wasn't like, okay. I thought she meant she was just opening. She had a chair in a salon. I didn't realize this woman had gone, gone home and opened her own amazing space. I was just like, with staff, with chairs, with backwashes, with products. Like completely. And... She explained to me that she'd always wanted to do it, but she realised at the time when she was over here, she had me, had my younger brother, she just needed to earn money. So she was working three jobs in hospitality, in retail, in cleaning, and she didn't have the time to realise that vision. It was only until she was redundant and she got a redundancy package that allowed her to go back and explore what she'd always wanted to do. But then, ironically enough, um, when I was at university, I was working in sales. I never told her this, but I was working in sales as well. I started off at Georgina's working um, on their, they were, they were also a hair store. So I started working on the shop floor, um, selling hair care products and hair, and then started helping out within a salon as well. And always loved the process. I'd always really embraced the kind of atmosphere that it provides. Um, mm. And so it was kind of like, I felt it was kind of symbiotic, like that she was, Unknown to me, unbeknownst to me, <laughs> building slightly business, and I was whilst at university working in the hair salon, hair environment, and um, yeah, it kind of came full circle. So when I got back from university, I dropped out my second year and just started work interning because I realised I wanted to work in PR, and then ended up interning about three or four places before getting um, a job, a paid job, <laughs> <laughs> and that was at your PR agency, and I really. The aspect that I loved the most was the creative way in which you could put a brand front and centre and explore ways to get it into media and really tell brand stories. So I was doing that and mum was still working at the salon and she would always ask me why wouldn't I get more involved and I was just like, I don't want to be a stylist on a, um, on a salon floor, that's not my forte. Like, I'm I'm professional. I work in um, I work PR, why do I want to work in um, why would I want to do hair all day and stand on my feet, which actually I know when I get a chance to do it, and so I really enjoy. And <laughs> um, so I completely dismissed the idea of, um, or didn't think of any way in which my work could um, benefit the salon. Until I think it was about 10 years, nine or 10 years into it being open, I was like, hold up, why can't I just do what I'm doing for my 
in my career that for the salons are taking on the PR and marketing, the brand positioning of the space. So I started um, getting more involved. My mum was like, before you even attempt to do that, you need to be working on the salon floor for a bit. Mm. So you need to know how this business runs inside and out. You need to know the stylish. You need to know like um, what products we have. You need to know how to fold the towels. So a period for about, I think about a month every Saturday, she had my grown ourselves folding towels. <laughs> I, I love that. <laughs> and then it kind of went from there. Um, me coming in, um, assisting, and then also doing the PR and brand side of the business. On the, um, and then she she retired about, well, semi-retired. I don't think anyone was ever going to retire <laughs> about three years ago. And, um, yeah. But then with my the PR side of things, I um, was still working in the agency. But about two and a half years ago, I decided to make the move to freelancing. And that came across because it came in um, too, because I wanted to spend more time working on the salon. I was just like, I have a, vi- a vision for it. I see where it could go. I was thoroughly enjoying the experience, you know, about talking to clients, working with my mum, being in that environment, watching it build and build and build. So um, with that in mind, I decided to like, okay, I need to go freelance. But then also, I was kind of getting really jaded at what I was doing within the industry. I mean, I was at an amazing agency for about 10 years. Um, the best place I could possibly come up in, I think, was the perfect fit for me and my particular personality. <laughs> and but I was really jaded of the sort of clients I was working on. Um, I knew there were some great, amazing black-owned brands out there, but they weren't getting nowhere near as much recognition. Um, and attention as some of the brands I was working on. So I was like, this is like this, this is frustrating. This is not right. I want to see more brands and magazines and TVs with founders that look like me, you know. But it was very, for the, at the time a very much a typical brand founder story um, that I just couldn't I couldn't um, resonate with. So it was a combination of wanting to work more in a family business and also wanting to work more with um, black owned brands that kind of led me to make the move to go freelance, which took me about a year and a half to kind of actually make the plunge because I was riddled with the idea that I can't do this. Um, how am I going to make money? Is this the right decision? But I, it's the best decision I ever made. And you're still doing it. And I'm still doing it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about you and your style because when I invited you onto the podcast, I was like, you're just, you're really not like any other PR I've ever met. Like in the UK beauty PR, there's Mm. definitely, there can be a a, generalizing here, but there's kind of like a certain look that you'll be more used to seeing than not, for instance. So, Mm. you know, you as a black woman with tattoos in the PR industry, it's kind of a bit different to everybody else. Um, And I love that. And also, you know, the way you are as well, you're just... You're just yourself. You're so passionate about your brands, but you don't do that that kind of spiely thing. Do you know what I mean? Like you're just you, and you happen to believe in these brands, but yeah, I can't. Yeah, but you mentioned to me that back in the day you had to kind of find your way because you're a black woman in the like alternative space. So when you say alternative, you mean like music and stuff like that. So when I was growing up, I was one of those Camden washers. Big baggy jeans, chains, fishnet tights of sleeves, piercings, like that's what that was that was my scene. Skating, just like a huge kind of like 
10 out of skate parks are huge, just like old Thursday, old Thursday, that's what I mean. That's, that's where um, my friends were, that's where I was. And, um, and I'm also quite a huge tomboy as well. So I've never felt particularly girly. Um, but then I found it really difficult navigating the fact that I was a black woman or a black girl at the time in alternative scene where I was a rarity. But then also amongst my people, like my friends of my estate and stuff and within school, I wasn't atypical, atypically a black girl. Like, I didn't listen to garage music. I hated garage music. You know, like, I I couldn't dusty wine. I can't dance to, I can't dance to save my life. So, um, for, and also the way I spoke as well, because I, I often got called a coconut or told, like, why do you speak so posh? And I was just like, I don't know, it's just where I speak. So I had a really hard time, like, um, working out who I was and how I truly felt because I would play roles in different scenarios. I was one role with my mother and family and within the church we would used to go to. I was one role with my friends when we used to go to state parks and go to clubs. I was another role at school. So, and I would mould myself to accommodate whatever situation. I think a lot of people, I think it was called code switching. Okay. And, and, well, and like, I realised that after a long while, I had lost a sense of like who I am. What is Deborah actually like? Who is Deborah really? What are Deborah's real opinions? And sometimes I felt just because of the way being a, a woman, being a black woman, but also being physically how I am, sometimes how I put things across would be a bit too bodacious or a bit too intimidating or be perceived wrong. So I, I learned to just maybe shy myself sometimes and not say, um, what I wanted and then after I think it, it kind of gets to the point where you're just like I have no I feel, I feel lost I have no idea who I am and what I'm about and I think I'd say within the last two and a half years um and a bit coincides going through a lot with some other things I'm now at a point where I truly feel like you know what I'm coming to my own I am fully understanding who I am what I want what I need and where I'm most feel comfortable so what made you even realise, you know what, I need to sort this out? Like, I need to get to the heart of this. Okay, I'm going to get a bit real here. Um, I was at a point where I was using out with substances, but not like, basically, like, um, I developed, I have a, um, a problem with alcohol, and I realised that uh, I was drinking quite a lot, significantly, and that, um, I now realise that that drinking was, to in part to kind of deal with the kind of sense of disease that I was feeling with not being able to fully understand who I am, where I'm coming from and what I need. And there were other aspects as well. And it got to a point where it hit um, crisis point for me. And so about in February of last year, I started to really address that and um, join the 12 step programme, which I still in today. And that combined with therapy has really, really forced me to look deep and hard at how I show up in the world and who I am as a person, both publicly and privately, you know, because we, within the industry, there is a lot of, like, there can be or a perception that there's a lot of, like, facade, you know, there's sure. a lot of, like, outward experiences. And we live in a world where everyone's hustling, everyone's, like, got this personal branding and, that's never been like who I am, you know, and um, I'm all about just doing hard work, doing it well, and just like, that's it. 
And um, I think that's on a tangent here, but I think with the therapy and with, um, with being an AA, it's really sort of like allows me to properly see and be comfortable with not always wanting to be in the right race, not uh, not wanting to be part and front and centre, not wanting to be performative, you know, when I feel I should because this is your job. But it's, no, 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 I can do my job and do it well without being able to tick all these boxes. And I feel quite grateful for the fact that like, I have this insight. And it's not like an insight in that fitness, it's a continual process, you know, but the path I'm on and where I've got to so far, I'm really happy. And I thought it can only get better. Thank you so much for sharing that because I've known you professionally, you know, for maybe a couple of years. Um, And I'm like, whoa, I, you know, why would I have known that about you? I didn't know that about you. So I really appreciate you telling me that. And it just, I think it's so valuable that you do share that because different issues that we face, they, you know, it happens to everybody and we don't always see that. We don't, whether yeah. it's a positive or negative thing about our lives, we don't always see that represented in our own culture or in someone that looks like us or has the same background. Um, mm. So I think you're amazing. No, I think like I wasn't, I'm kind of like stunned that I did that. I wasn't like intending to, but it, it just mm. it felt right at the time. And it does feel mm. right. And like, I have, no shame, I have no shame about it. I'm pretty much an open book. What you see is what you get with me. Maybe it's sometimes to my detriment. But I have no poker face. You can tell when I'm pissed off because I'm like, <laughs> but also, <laughs> I think I already know this about you. <laughs> but I love that. It's like that's what you need. You know, like you said, there's so many people out there acting every day. You know, here it was election day. What yesterday? And the amount of people I'm seeing on social media pretending like it wasn't. And just going on with the motions of posting the the beauty product, of posting the selfie, and mm-hmm. da da da. And I get that if that's how you really feel. I don't want you to feel like you should change yourself. But I'm also like, wow, you know, you can take a day off, you know, be with yourself. I think, <laughs> I think everyone copes different things in different ways. But my main thing is like always be true to yourself. Like if if you if your way of dealing with something is to like continue. Um, carry on as normal fair enough do you um but for me I'm just like I can't do that I need to always check in and see what's going on with me and do and act accordingly I don't want to be performative and put on kind of like masks and layers anymore just to appease other people because at the end of the day the most important person that I need to look out for is numero uno because I'm the person I wake up to I'm the person I go to sleep to I'm the person that is in my own head you know so as long as what you're doing is in accordance to how you truly feel and want to be received, then do you. So how do you do that? You know, you said you need to check in with yourself. Is that something that you do intentionally each day? Or is it like, do you wait for something to go off in your head and you're like, wow, I need to stop? No, like, so my day normally is framed there. So I just get to talk because I've just broken my anonymity. So my day, my day normally starts with so it's, um, prayer, meditation, stretching. I do an AA meeting every day. And that really helps keep me kind of like focused on understanding what my character defects are and how they can um, kind of manifest in different aspects. But it also keeps me kind of um, on the path of realising where if I don't keep myself in check, things can go, you know, in terms of like spirals of destruction. And then like another part of like AA and it's generally something I feel is quite um, important to me is like just to be of service to others. 
and not and not when I can get anything out of it. So yes, I'm a service for my clients, but they pay me. So that's not true service, really, is it? So any aspect that I can do where I I can help someone or do something somewhere and not get rewarded for it, it keeps me humble. It keeps me feeling solely nourished. Um, And I find just doing those little things and also just like trying to take pause because I'm a very impulsive person. I like to just be like, push the bucket button. Boom. And I need to sometimes just be like, you know what, take a pause for a moment. When you feel your body, my body physically reacting to something, I know that's why I need to pause. I need to pause and to sit on it for a moment and then act accordingly because my impulsive nature, it has positive aspects but also has negative aspects. So I need to always be like, okay, just pause on this. Breathe in, universe, how do I do this accordingly? <laughs> I feel that I feel that I'm I'm the same I have to learn because I can literally feel the chemicals in my body bubbling Mm -hmm. up I'm just like no 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 leave the email leave the phone leave like you know what work can be addictive like there'll be you know when you asked me earlier what I had for breakfast like I need to about the one that I need to actually just to be better off having breakfast because I will not eat until about six, seven in the evening. So all I'll be doing is chugging coffee. And I've noticed oh that my body goes into this adrenaline mode when I'm working. Yes. It's like, and then you're just like, Deborah. and you'll keep going, 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 going. And you can feel the tension in your body. You can feel like the heart rate. You can feel like your body's hunched over. I can feel oh, like God, my adrenaline. <laughs> and that ain't sustainable and that ain't healthy. So when I'm doing, when that's happening, I'm just like, okay, stop what you're doing go out just like read a book just stop what you're doing because consistently doing this to my body is is not going to have any long-term benefit and then also mm-hmm. it's just like that feeling can be quite addictive as well it can be like oh my god I'm like I'm stressed and I'm tense but I'm really loving it and also and, this is no. how work feels like yeah this is how I work so yeah and I'm so used to working like that I've um I'm slowly changing it with how I structure my day um but it's a continuous, like everything, it's a continuous practice. And every day is not perfect, but just being able to have that pause and awareness when it's happening is really, really key. It's something that I've started to become more and more aware of. Talk to me about how lockdown has affected you. Obviously, here in the UK, there's a second lockdown mm-hmm. starting tomorrow. But for me, it never really went away. It's like once it started back at the end of March, I'm like, cool. I, I can avoid pubs. I can avoid this and that. But how, how mm-hmm. has it been for you, especially... Because you're already freelance, so you may well be working from home some days out of the week. How have you found it affecting, like, you as a person, more so than your work? Yeah, um, it's required me to be a lot more structured, I'd say, in how I uh, map out my day. Um, Because I've always had, like, some sort of loose form of structure as to what I do, but, like, it hasn't... um, it, it allows sort of things to seep into other areas. Like I would allow work to seep into the evening, you know? But now I'm just like, okay, in the morning, my day, I bookend my days with um, acts of just like really, which really allow me to come to self. Okay. So my day starts with like the, the meditation, the stretching, the prayer and the AA. And then in the, after, in the afternoon, morning to like around, I think six o'clock, it's work. It's work stuff. And then six o'clock, it's not, it's not always the case, but I'm like, laptop down, day is done, do not bother me for anything, unless it's urgent. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's it. I won't even look at my, um, I won't look at 
work stuff and then the evening is purely for me and um, I feel like right now like in terms of my routine I'm no longer going to salon as much because we're closing tomorrow you know today even today's Wednesday but um in terms of my routine I've, I've mostly worked from anyway so I haven't really ha- um, changed I'm trying to make sure that my evenings and times where I can really do things for myself I'm really strict about that like um, without any compromise because we're going I don't think people realise or we don't realise yet this is quite a freaking traumatic time the, the, the depth of how traumatic this is we are so used to like um, productivity yeah. you know and bowing down to the school of like or the church of productivity being our work you know or work being our work and that we're just like Things are coming our way, elections, COVID, Brexit, and we're just like, you know what, we're going to bitch about it, but they keep on doing what we're doing. And I'm just like, is there going to be a point five years or a year down the line where we all just crash because we've had the onslaught of shit on shit on shit, but we are training ourselves to just plough through shit in a way that we don't realise could be so damaging? I don't know, but I, that doesn't feel right for me, so I want to do everything I can to kind of deviate from that and not... And just process what's going on, you know, and just really just be a lot more gentle to myself because, like I said before, I am my number one priority. There is more to me than what I do, you know, um, and I need to make sure that I'm honouring that and that I'm allowing myself to have the space to not just sort of fully accept what's going on, you know, and like fully understand how I feel about what's going on. And yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. The past few days, I've read quite a few articles about um, people addressing the fact that as black people, there is a lot of getting on with stuff because we've been through so much mm-hmm. and we've managed to get through it. Like years of slavery, like violence constantly still, even now, you know, besides George Floyd. And we just get on with it and we keep going and we're so strong and we're we develop strength and we get past everything. And I feel like this is the first time the whole of humanity has had to try and be strong and get through stuff. And everyone is having issues. And I don't, I think even if COVID went away tomorrow, you're going to see effects from this five or 10 years from now, because it's, it's constantly, well, we've just got to get through. We've got to be strong. And, but sometimes you have to just, like you said, uh, like, look at it like sit with it, um, accept it and cry about it or get mad about it. Do you know what I mean? Instead of just moving, mm-hmm. moving through it all the time, I don't think it's good for us. No, it isn't. You need to face, you, facing things truly head on can be one of the most rewarding things that you can do. And it teaches you a lot about yourself. It teaches you um, how to be vulnerable, how to be resilient, how to be kind um, and less critical, you know, um, and also how to individually form your own opinions about what they, how you, what you think about things. You know, I think with this collective, it's like kind of like, um, I think it's almost reactionary things just like continually go plow on through because everyone's plowing on through. It doesn't give you time to step away. How am I, how am I person? What do I think of the situation really? You know, and I don't think that's very healthy. We don't want to live in a first world. We kind of are above all group think polarization where individual nuance can't be explored, you know, because no one actually has an individual thought or opinion because they are just going with the popular opinion because they haven't had time to do a critical thought, a critical reading, a critical research. That irks the hell out of me. 
that someone has an opinion about something, it's like, okay, so how would you come to that conclusion? Oh, well, I read this article. Do you realize you really want to ask the enemy one person's opinion? What is your opinion? <laughs> you know? That's, that's the social, <laughs> that's the Instagram generation. That's what it's just like, I saw someone make a huge mistake on Instagram. I think it was a black girl that shared a post that actually said blue lives matter. She did not take the second or the the 30 seconds or the minute to read the caption clearly and read the fact that it said blue, not black instant sharing on her social media and, and instant backlash from all of her followers. Like, what are you doing? We're so caught up in this reacting rather than just like, yeah, think. Yeah. Like, but, but I think there's two kind of things um, things there. So she didn't take the time to actually read what she was putting out there. But also, in the backlash, are you not going to be kind enough to realise people make mistakes? You know? No. It's just like, come on, it's, we're, none of us are all perfect and divine. I think there's this saying that, um, which I really, really like, I try to adhere to, to err is human and to forgive is divine. And we don't seem to live in a certain culture that wants to forgive people or listen. It's just like, just critique, critique, critique. And like, and that's partly because, again, that group think aspect and also how um, enthralling it can be to, like, lambast other people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you all get to – it's that whole – you know, when they talk about things like riots and stuff, it's like the person yeah. – not everybody would normally be inclined to do that, but they get carried away with the moment. Pack mentality. Yeah. Pack mentality. It's like if one person, the, en- the energy within the space rises and then every you almost become, like, symbolically one moving thing. <laughs> And it's just like, no. <laughs> it's kind of, I wanted to talk about, um, because with you, with everybody, I send questions ahead of time just so they can get thinking. And you went above and beyond and you answered the questions in advance, which was actually really <laughs> interesting. <laughs> You're such a PR. I was like, she's so organized. Um, <laughs> when you got back and was like, well, you asked already. I was just like, oh yeah I think but I loved it I was like I realized that it gave me bits like oh they're the bits that I'm interested in so we'll go further so one of the bits that made me because you write really well as well so I asked you about what's been your biggest skin or beauty issue that you've faced in your life and you mentioned two things so you can explore at will but one was your lack of brows and the yeah. other was, you just said, my beard. So yeah. tell me about my, those. Like, <laughs> I can't so, see anything. So my <laughs> like, okay, like, I think I might have just plucked for you today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, like, okay, the brown thing, really, I don't know what it is. I'm, so basically, when I was younger, I, I had about eczema along my top lip, along here. And on my arms, and I would scratch rigorously. And I've always had really sparse brows. Like, I had sparse brows anyway, but I would scratch rigorously. And my mum, I'm going to go to the doctor's doctor saying, you stop scratching because like, it will put out the um, damage protocol. So I listen, hell no. And so eventually it left me, the eczema cleared up, and my brows were permanently gone. <laughs> and I never really kind of paid my, any mind to it. I was just like, I was a little kid, just like, whatever, didn't really care to be playing football with the boys or just like hang out with my mates and there wasn't quite what secondary school <laughs> where I was made aware of the fact that having no brows was a thing and that it was a sexual thing I used to get cussed out so much no brow monster hey Deborah, where are your brows 
I think that's it. I'm traumatized from it. Oh, so, at um, least you're able to laugh about it now. But kids can be cruel. Yeah, I can. So, like, I remember coming home <laughs> and then, you know, <laughs> Oh God, what so did you use? You know those fountain pen, um, pen cartridges, ink cartridges? Squeezing one into um, the water and getting one of my mum's like, makeup brushes and painting them on. But I thought the fountain pen was black. When you got it, it turned blue. So, like, I had these, like, oh <laughs> with these, like, painted on belts, which are kind of blue. Wow. Did you and wear them to school? Huh? Did you wear that yeah, look to school? Yeah, the thing is, like, it, I also put in, um, I ended up putting eyeliner on top of it, but I'd never seen my face like that before. So I was like, whoa, having eyebrows completely changed my face. So then I thought, well, now I started filling in my brows more. Mm. And I guess that was the first point for me where I um, sort of beautified myself because before that I wasn't, I wasn't. I didn't really kind of like um, pay any mind to the idea of beauty, but in seeing how much having those ink brows transformed my face, I was like, I like this. And then, um, you know what funny thing is, though, really pissed me off, excuse my language. No one noticed. No one noticed. Oh, no. Maybe that's a good thing. Did they stop calling you names, though? Yeah. So they they, must have noticed. They must have noticed, but no one was just like, I think I, think I must have like imagined in my head, I'd walk into school and I'd be like, good brows, Deb. But that's not happened. They're probably like, oh, she's got eyebrows now. Who's next? <laughs> On to them. <laughs> Why do you like a mosher? Because <laughs> <laughs> I am. <laughs> so tell me about, you're quite open with like, over the last few years, you've noticed hairs sprouting from your chin. How yeah. did that make you feel when you found the first one? Mortified. I was just like, I've always had like um, a little bit of like light hair there, like but fuzz. in the last three, four years, it the light hair has now um, turned into thick, gnarly hairs. And when I started noticing those, I was just like, oh my freaking god! Why on earth have I got a beard? Like, what's going on here? And then I would rigorously tweeze them out. But then whenever I tweeze one out, it would go back thicker and gnarlier. Mm. But I've kind of come to accept it. I'm just like, you know what? I've got facial hair. So do a lot of people. My mum does as well. And I've considered lasering it. Lasering it but I'm just like, it's how my body's functioning. I've noticed that they go, they, they grow back more when I'm stressed. And um, they go up thicker. I don't know if that's an actual physiological fact, or I tend to be picking my hair, my chin more when I'm stressed. Oh yeah, maybe. But I do love, I love, I love the process. I'm going to sound really gross. So anyone who's squeamish, uh, yeah, probably hit mute now. But I love the process (laughs) of just like when you get the tweezers and you 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 can see one of those thick ones, and like I slowly start tugging at it and then feeling it pull out. (laughs) You extend the pleasure, basically. I don't know what it is. I find it quite... I guess some people like um, popping pimples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe it's some psychosomatic similar thing, but I love the process of just like feeling it coming through and then boom, it's out. (laughs) So do you have a look at it before you dispose of it? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Because so. the pimples thing, yes, yeah, the same kind of <laughs> process. Cool. So going back to seeing as you, you know, you first got into makeup via ink. 
Um, let's talk about your tattoos because I noticed yeah. when I first met you, I I'm obsessed with tattoos and I love tattoos on black skin because I think you have you know the tattoo artists that work on black skin really need to know what they're doing mm. and they really need to ensure that the pigment is going to show and last over time. But I think you've got 17 tattoos. I've got 17 individual ones and I got my first one. When I was 13, um, I used to like Camden was my stomping ground and I, I always looked younger. I mean, older than my age. So, and it's back <laughs> when some tattoo parlors weren't as strict about like seeing your ID. <laughs> And I got my first one, which actually is so embarrassing. Let me see. Oh, no, it's not embarrassing. Oh, these two stars here. Oh, that's not so embarrassing. Cool. The thing is, it's like, if you, like, it was the ultimate emo tattoo to yeah. get. And then also, um, I was arrogant or so and so. So I was like, tell tattoo wise, I wanted to do the sense on myself. And we had an argument about it. He goes, go on then. So I did the sense on myself. And then I realised, I didn't think I was going to the two of one of the stars is wonky. So it's a, it's a constant reminder to me, Debra, <laughs> let the expert, expert, and you just <laughs> you sit back. So that was 13-year-old you, drawing yeah, the stencils? Yeah, Wow. And so yeah. did that start off, was it for you, like, once you got one, you wanted to get more? Because I know that's, like, I've got seven, and I know I want, like, a lot more than that. Yeah, I really like, I like the idea of uh, using my body as doc- a um, sort of form of documentation. I like um, the pain, to be quite frank. It's, um, I find it quite soothing. And yeah, I just like the idea of adorning myself. I mean, I, I feel, not quite may say, it may, may change, but I want to get um, this sleeve completed and then I'm done. But that may very well change. Yeah. I mean, if you're we'll, saying we'll you also get, because I've heard that a lot from people, they find it soothing from the constant pain because it can be over time, you can get used to it. So, with that in mind, I'm thinking that's not going to be a last one. Just, <laughs> <laughs> there's only so many hairs you can pull out. So, I don't know. Yeah, very true. <laughs> What's the tattoo on your body that is the most important to you? Okay. Um, I hold them all equal rever- um, reverence, but I've got the essay of Virginia Woolf, remember one day on my back? And um, that, like, it's the title, picture, and, like, that means a lot to me because I got it, I think I was, about like, 18 or 19, and I got it because I realised that in order for me to be able to, do, like, kind of, like, be and do what I wanted to do in life, and this is professionally, I was only thinking professionally at that time, and actually, it was when I was nice to university that I needed my own space, I needed my own resources, I needed my own things. And I remember reading that essay when I was um, in my first year at uni and really it just fucking clicked to me. I was like, this is a woman, a white woman from um, the Flings we said decades ago, and I, she's written something that me right here, it was firing and all cylinders, it was like clicking. So um, I would say that was my, is my most... Um, I don't want to say it means the most, but that to me has the, the deepest meaning of all tattoos I've got. Because a lot of them, actually, no, they're not all just for adornment. Yeah, but that one, yeah. Do you go to the same tattooist every time? Um, no. So I used to get my um, tattoos done. So I've got a tattoo in Bristol at Family Business Exodus Market. But then Dominic, Dominic Himes is an amazing tattoo artist who has a home studio in Forest Gate. I don't know if she's still there. She's got her tattoo for her in years. My last one, which is this piece here, Love was done by her. 
Um, and uh, I freaking love that woman. She really put me at ease. And also, she was the first female that ever tattooed me. Um, I've had tattoos done by in the past by men. And I have had some really horrible experiences with said men. And when you've had that, and you've got a permanent reminder on your body of that experience, it ain't so great. Tell me what you're living in makeup right now. Because I know at the beginning of the conversation, you said this is the first time you've put makeup on for a while. What are you loving mm-hmm. using right now? I, I always wear eyeliner, like a liquid eyeliner, like a cat's eye thing. And I, my, my go-to now is the NYX um, liquid eyeliner. I find it phenomenal. Like, one of my biggest gripes of eyeliner is particularly liquid eyeliner. They would go on and then they would dry kind of grey and ashy. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, no, I want intensity on my freaking eyeliner. Like, don't want you to look wishy-washy or fair weather. Come on, come quite quick, come at all. <laughs> this one, it dries like a vinyl finish and it's so shiny all day. And I freaking love that. Um, so I'd say that. And then also um, the Libra, so I know it's kind of like a plug, but it's still, I do love it. Um, the um, Emmeline Cosmetics Lipsticks. I find well, phenomenal. You, I mean, you're allowed that one are. because you pick, you work, that's an amazing brand. So tell people about Emmeline if they don't already know it. So Emmeline is a black owned British brand that launched this year by amazing woman called Emmeline Ramlock. She is born in Uganda but raised in Denmark and um, she but resides in London. She loves the idea of, she's a huge makeup person, like she's glamorous, like, so like she's like everything is done and she understands makeup as a tool to. Allow your sharp tips as yourself for yourself, and also as um, it's all just to just to beautify yourself and experience who you are. But so she launched a range because she likes to wear matching lips and nails, and she would get her nails done and wanted to find a corresponding lip here but could never find one. So did some research, but there's no brand out there that is doing this. But in terms of offering matching lips and nails offerings but for all and every skin tone so the range consists of 15 nudes of 15 reds for any skin tone you know and then there you've got your girl um and a red lip and also um matching red nail so the reason i like it like traditionally i haven't like um since been i don't want to work on a makeup brand because, like, even though I do wear makeup, my I, I love skincare and fragrance more. And I knew if I was ever up with makeup, I had to be special. Mm-hmm. And when I first discovered them, I loved her story. I loved the idea. I do agree with the idea of, like, beauty and makeup to allow you to shop as your best self. I thought the um, the proposition of matching lips and nails quite interesting because there was no one doing anything like it. And I like to work with people who are doing things differently. But then more importantly, because I don't want to wrap trash, I tried the products and I absolutely love them. I mean, like, their Abuja lipstick is to die for. It's one of my favourites, as is the Libreville. Also, the packaging. The packaging, like, yeah. I'm not a fancy person. I'm pretty, like, laid back. I'm like, pretty, like, I don't mean all like, glitz and glam. But that packaging, it makes me feel fancy. Mm. Like, mm. it makes me feel like my daughter, like, a bore sense of self. Where I'm just like, <laughs> Everyone needs that little, you know, that little bit of sparkle. And... Yeah, people love the brand, like you know the Instagram effect. It's so Instagrammable, but the product inside is solid, and that's the most important thing. The matching aspect. Back in the day, brands used to do matching stuff. I don't know what happened, but now she's the only one doing it, and it's so refreshing because it's like, well, yeah, it's like a little, 
it's it's just kind of like nice to have something matching and it really makes sense to have a matching lip liner by the way because yeah you know but I just think it's lovely it goes on really nice like the lipstick and the liner yeah and the nail polish as well they glide on they're very very long wearing um and like we said before like there is I think it ticks three key boxes for me. The product is really, really good in terms of the use. The packaging is really, really good in terms of how it looks. And also the sound of the story is interesting. And, it's for, and there's nothing out there like it from which, what I can no. see. So it's like, this is the brand I want to work with. You know, and I, I try to, whenever I'm looking at working with clients, I get approached about tooting my own horn a fair bit. And I often like say, I'm not right for you at the moment because I know that what you're potentially offering is not unique enough to get the level of coverage that you, you're expecting. And I need to be honest in that regard. There's no point me taking things on for the money when I know that the return in terms of the media opportunity is not going to be as strong because the brand's proposition is not that different. I just deliberately try and work with people who are doing really interesting, excellent, different things because it makes my job slightly easier. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, we're just going to wind down with the last couple of questions now. Who sums up iconic beauty for you? Like someone like no matter what era it is, who is iconic to you? You know, I love Zadie Smith. <laughs> I think she is, I, I, I like her entire, I like where she writes. And I think the way someone writes or draws or paints or sings was ever for me is a, is a beauty, adds to their beauty. I like her brain, the way she critically applies for. I find that really attractive. Um, also, I like her hair backness, and I like the fact that she seems to have a very signature style. Like, yeah, like she never looks and... yeah, and then sort of the lines of things she wears and the colours. She never doesn't look like herself, and I really appreciate that because, like, if I had my own way, I would wear this outfit for the rest of my life. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so what is that? Just like, a V-neck and jeans, a loose V-neck jumper, and some baggy um, cut sort of like cut off jeans yeah and I, I, I like either her uniform or a signature look that you don't deviate from maybe it's because I have a lack of imagination maybe it's because I hate shopping but <laughs> I kind of I like I, I find that really appealing so I'd say all of those things make Zadie Smith me an iconic beauty I mean I need to meet that woman before I die yeah <laughs> <laughs> knowing you it will probably happen so we'll see Tell me about when you feel, and obviously bearing in mind everything we've spoken about, it's totally cool if it's still a working process, but when do you feel the most you? Mostly like when I'm using my hands, like when I'm like planting or just like turning to my plants or like planting these seeds or just hiding up the backyard or when I'm painting. Um, just in those moments where I'm just like, I'm focused on one task and it's for the pure joy of that task. Or what I also like to do is, like, at the end of the day, put on my playlist and just dance in my room like an idiot. Like, that is just, like, well, I just feel like there are no expectations, you know. The only person that I'm doing this for is my pure individual pleasure and sense of self and grounding. That's when I most feel like me. Last Um, question. So, you know, you're out there in the PR world. You've got a, a face that people know at the salon. And obviously on social media, but if there was one thing you would want people to know about you that they don't know, what would it be? Oh God, that's heavy, Cherie. I'm a huge introvert. Like, 
I spend ninety percent of my time by myself. Um, it's it's kind of like ridiculous. I mean, I kind of, I, I I like that and I hate that because I like my own company, but also I can quite, I can isolate quite a bit and not reach out when I need to. Um, I know like I can be quite um a personality, but I'm also quite an introvert. Yeah. So with that being said, do you, do you think you should like let your mates know that maybe they should check on you more often, or do you no, think it's down to you? <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I need to, I need to learn to reach out more because I um I have spent a long time in my life being very self reliant and being very independent and doing things for myself and I need to be put myself in position of vulnerability more and reach out and ask for help when I need it because I it's not I don't feel comfortable doing that it's not something I naturally do but I need to exercise that muscle. Thanks so much for listening. Take a minute to like, subscribe, perhaps share the episode with someone that you think will be interested. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Beauty Me Podcast, or you can follow my personal account, which is at Sharice.Kenyon. Feel free to slide into the DMs with any feedback or suggestions for future guests. And I'll see you next week.